This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Here's your host, Neil Solons. All right. Well, our first time down in Port Charlotte in terms of a podcast for 2019. Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times down here every day, uh, as both of us are during the course of spring training. Mark, first full squad workout today as we sit down. So give me your impressions of, I guess, the first week at camp so far. Yandy Diaz, his arms are big. <laughs> That's my biggest takeaway. Now, uh, I mean, I, there's really been no negatives at all. I mean, Ian Jabot is set back a little bit, and he's a guy that you know, I mean, realistically, was probably on the fringe of a competition for a bullpen job. So, you know, never good for any player to get hurt, but obviously not a, a big issue there. And it seems like, you know, most of the guys have come in, and we always joke about the cliche, everyone's in the best shape of their life. But there's some guys where there's been noticeable difference. I think Matt Duffy, you know, we've heard about the Dave Wills diet, six meals a day, 4,500 calories, and he's bulked up by uh, 23, 24 pounds or so. And a lot of that is actually muscle with Matt Duffy. Um, you know, Yanni Diaz, I was joking about it, but he definitely is an impressive physical specimen. You know, the pitching has seemed sharp. I mean, Charlie Morton's a great guy. There's another hot take for you. Charlie Morton's a great guy. Um, so really, Neil, I think if anything, it's kind of been camp tranquility this year. Last year at this point, we were talking about camp disarray because of, you know, the trades where Odorizzi, Dickerson, and then Steven Souza Jr., all within the first week to 10 days, were traded. It was a lot of upheaval this year, pretty smooth sailing, a lot of expectations. There are, and I, and I think one of the things that I, I think we've heard frequently from Kevin is about almost tempering expectations to a point that he wants them to just focus on getting their work done, and that was really his team message was that we're good, but we got to work to get where we want to go. Yeah, and I think that's going to be a little bit of the battle, almost maybe even in a passive-aggressive way, is you know the last thing the guys running the team want to do is tell the players no you're really not that good I mean this is such an organization built on positivity and building guys up so that they feel confident and uh, confident how they play and confident in themselves but right they also don't want them to get too big-headed I mean you do have some young players that you know we've seen historically I'm not going to say with this group we don't know yet but historically you've seen young players where they do well their first year and they don't think it's a challenge so much in the second year. Maybe you don't work as hard, don't put in as much effort, don't take it as seriously, whatever, and have a fall off. And the Rays have a handful of guys that did kind of emerge last year. I mean, Blake Snell went from pretty good to incredibly good. But, you know, Joey Wendell, for example. I mean, Daniel Robertson, before he got hurt, there were some guys that were having success that they really hadn't had on a consistent level in the major leagues before. And the Rays have to kind of tap into that and hope a lot of that continues. And there's a chance for other rookies to have an opportunity, whether it's not at the start of the year. You wrote about Colin Pochet. I've talked to him. I mean, there's an interesting story of a guy who could, whether it's at the start of the year or at some point, really have an impact on the pen. Yeah, I mean, I think I'd be surprised at this point if we don't see Colin Pochet at, you know, having an impact this year. And, you know, maybe he doesn't make the opening day roster. I mean, you know, he's not on the 40-man now. So, you know, sometimes those guys, they like to let them wait until they need to make a move because to add someone, you have to take someone off. They will have a couple spots just by the construction of their roster with a couple guys going on the 60-day DL. So he, he is a really fascinating guy. I mean, he's a guy who has numbers that 
open your eyes would make you think he's blowing hitters away, but he isn't doing it that way. He's getting there with a huge number of strikeouts in a different way, and it's with deception and a fastball that's kind of right over the plate, but hitters can't seem to put the bat on it. One of the other big stories in camp, and I guess it's not really in Rays camp, it's almost like around Rays camp, is what they've done. And and I think you wrote a, a terrific column about why is this a big deal about the Rays using openers. It worked, didn't it? Well, it worked, and, and certainly the Rays feel very good about it. We know they're going to do it again this year. I mean, Kevin Cash has, you know, I think outlined it pretty clearly that, you know, their plan at this point anyway is, you know, three starters in Snell, Morton, and Glass now, and then two days with the opener. But, yeah, and it's been interesting, some big-name players chiming in. I mean, we, you know, first kind of from the Giants camp, and, like, the, you know, the players were asked about it, and as a journalist, you know, I always want to see players respond when asked a question and give their honest answer, controversial or not, but... Yeah, I think what happened is the Giants GM was asked what they consider using it. He said they would. So then, you know, some reporters went around the clubhouse and asked their veteran pitchers what they thought. And then, you know, we saw it come out of the Astros uh, clubhouse the other day. That was a little bit different because they're familiar with it. They had it done against them. And, you know, it's a different group, veteran group there. But Verlander and Garrett Cole making clear, you know, what they thought was wrong with it. And it's going to be a subject of conversation. It's going to be a subject of some controversy because the Rays implemented something that really no one had ever done before. and certainly not by design with their consistency. And, you know, either we're going to see more teams do it or try to experiment with it, or the Rays will kind of be the team that's the outlier. But either way, I think they're sticking with it. Well, it, it, look, results have, have proven that it, it helps them win. The goal is to win games. I think Eric Neander and Kevin Cash focused on that at their first news conference right before spring training began. Yeah, and, and you know, I think it's becoming clear and, and, you know, in both talking to the players, talking to the front office, talking to Kevin Cash, you know, they all have this quiet confidence this year, and, and they do. They're trying to figure out what is the best way to win games. And, you know, we've seen them obviously use relief pitchers to start games. We've seen them use, you know, matchup bullpen where they don't have a designated closer. I don't think they will this year, at least from the looks of this current team. And, you know, I think we're starting to see it. the next thing is kind of this creep in of the multi-versatile players where – there's guys that can go back and forth. I mean, you might have three or four Ben Zobers types on the field at the same time this year, and, you know, it obviously creates a ton of options for Kevin Cash. It also gets tricky, and, you know, a first-year bench coach and Matt Cartrero, they're going to have to keep track of a lot of things that, you know, they don't get too cute, or, heck, you could see Jose Alvarado playing first base. Oh, wait, we already did see that. <laughs> yes, we did. Hey, I found out Emilio Pagan played third base in college, so who knows? We may, we may see him used in that way because he is obviously impressed in the first week in camp. You not only have been in Rays camp, but you were down in West Palm, for the what the the Rob Manfred was there in the GM you got to hear Rob Manfred uh, at, at the start of camp in Orlando you what, what are the big takeaways you took from a like kind of kind of a macro level as we've looked at the race through the first portion of this podcast yeah I mean the owners meetings right before camp started in Orlando and then over at the MLB MLB media day on Sunday in West Palm Neal and and um it's interesting. I think you are seeing, first of all, your pace of play is going to be a continued subject of conversation throughout spring training. You know, Rob Manfred did reveal on Sunday night. I'm not sure that his PR person was happy he did it, but uh, that they are going to have an announcement this week or you know, may have already that uh, they are going to use the pitch clocks this spring in preparation. MLB has the right to unilaterally impose the pitch clock this year because they suggested it last year. I talked to a couple guys, and you know, Austin Pruitt, Andrew Kittredge, guys who've been up and down, you know, even as recently as last year a lot. So they pitch under the pitch clock when they're at Durham. They don't have to pitch under it here, and they really said it's not that much different. I mean, 20 seconds is plenty of time. Most guys do it, but if it doesn't, if you don't, and they enforce it, you, uh, the hitter. Uh, gets a ball added to the count. I mean, the penalty against the pitcher is a ball added to the count. So that is significant, you know, when you think about it in a, in a micro term. Other thing is, is the ongoing conversation. We have Rob Manfred being asked repeatedly, you know, why the big name free agents haven't signed to this point. I and mean, he said there's 11 players with a one or better war that haven't signed yet that, you know, are 
pretty legitimate free agents, and obviously Harper and Machado have gotten most of the conversation, but Keiko's out there, Kimbrell, as we record this, and some other big names. So that's an ongoing thing. What's wrong with the economic system? Are they headed toward you know, going off the cliff here with a strike in a couple of years? So that's another theme that's been going on. And, and obviously the opener. I mean, it comes up everywhere I go. I, I almost feel in, in a weird way, and I know you get asked this a lot on a lot of the national TV and radio stuff you do too, where we get asked about it, and you kind of can relate to how Cash and Neander and Heim Bloom feel when they get asked about it all the time, because sometimes it's kind of like, Sure, I'll explain it to you again, and I'm just a reporter. We're probably going to be asked a few dozen more times, my guess is, in spring training. But in the meantime, we do get games started this week, and uh, we'll probably be talking to you plenty as we kind of move through a lot of what's been, we hope, I mean, so far it's been, I hate to say, a much quieter camp than in the past. That's kind of a good thing. And from a race standpoint, it's probably good if it continues that way. So far, anyway. And you think that 20-second pitch clock is going to limit your delivery? I don't think so, but, well, we'll see. Oh, we certainly appreciate Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times joining us. And, of course, uh, you can continue to follow him during his spring training coverage at TB Times underscore race. Now, during the course of spring training, we like to make sure to feature a lot of the players of the 66 who are in camp and give you kind of a, a unique look at uh, some individuals who maybe won't get uh, the same attention as the, the guys who are going to be the stars or the 40-man guys. So I sat down with a few non-roster guys this week. Uh, first was Oliver Drake, who was on the 40-man at one point this offseason. He was with five teams. That was a record during the course of last year. Uh, and I asked him the greatest challenge about moving from spot to spot to spot. No, it's difficult, um, but, I mean, after a while, you just kind of get used to it and you know you know how things work and, you know, you get used to walking in new clubhouses and meeting new guys and adjusting on the fly to how the rest of the season is going to go. For people who don't know your background, obviously you played your college ball at the U.S. Naval Academy. Being someone who is part of the military, does that – are you better – someone who can adjust to different situations, you think, based on your, your background? Uh, I don't know – means I'm better suited. Um, it definitely, there were a lot of things I learned at the Naval Academy that definitely helped for it. Because um, with a year like last year, you kind of just learn to roll with the punches and get up and go um, and go where you're told. And so that's kind of what I did. When you had to deal with the claim in the off season, though, how challenging is that on the mental side? Just know, hey, where am I going to be? You know, because you want to get a place. You want to. People don't realize that the human aspect of all this. Yeah, it's a little challenging, but at the same point, it was a lot easier in the off season than in season because I really didn't have to pack up and move. Um, so just like, guy, right, this is where I'm going today. And then if the phone rang the next day in the off season, it was a new spot. And so I was just being patient to wait whether to find a place for spring training because I never really knew where I was going. Where were your thoughts when you found out it was going to be the race? And you actually had to make a decision on that too, right? Whether to accept the the place that you had been. Yeah, no, um, it was uh, no, it was one of those things where it just seemed like a good fit, and uh, you know, there was a little bit of relief that like, okay, we can start looking for housing for spring training because we know that's where we're going to be. Um, so that was nice. What um, what attracted you to stay here and make this you know potentially your home for 2019? Um, it just seemed like a good fit. You know, it's an exciting team. Um, seems like a good opportunity. And uh, so, yeah, I was just excited about it. Our fans probably have seen you pitch a little bit when you were in the Baltimore organization. But for people who haven't, give us a kind of a feel for who you are as a pitcher. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty much a fastball splitter guy. And, uh, you know, I'm just going to come in and try to get guys out quickly. 
And I guess one of the positives about being with this organization is they have a couple of guys who probably will start the year on the 60-day. So as a non-roster guy, there is an opportunity to make the club right out of spring training. Was that part of the thought process going into it? Or? Um, I mean, it was just kind of seemed like a good fit. It's one of those things where you have to come and pitch well, and uh, whether a team has flexibility or not, if they think you're good enough to be on the team and you're going to help the team, they're going to they're gonna find a way to put you on there. Of the teams that you've been with, some are analytically inclined, some aren't. Are you a guy who likes the analytics of the game, and, and how much do you think maybe the race can help you continue to grow? Um, yeah, I've started to. Um, definitely you see a lot of, you know, how different organizations use it, and so I'm excited to see uh, – you know how the Rays do it, um, and hopefully I can pick up some things. What was the biggest learning experience for you from last year? Because, I mean, look, you stayed in the big leagues all year, so obviously there were a lot of teams that liked what you did uh, and liked a lot about you. Uh, it was just kind of to trust my stuff um, and don't worry about, you know, the things you can't control. Um, it was kind of one of those things where I just had to finally just be like, it doesn't matter, i got to focus on today do my job when I get the chance and not worry about any of the outcomes or what you know the results might dictate. Does it help too to have familiarity with the American League East um, that you've been in this division so you're familiar with you know the challenges of it? Um, yeah I mean last year I bounced around from division to division um, at the same at the end of the day it's baseball you know you're uh, you're playing baseball it doesn't matter what division what part of the country um, your job's the same. And we certainly hope for uh, Oliver Drake that things go smoothly for him in his latest spot, his first, truly, with the Rays on the field. Now, he's not the only uh, guy who is with the Rays for the first time this spring training. Among those others include one Ryan Merritt. Ryan had some memorable moments with the Cleveland Indians, including helping him to a World Series in 2016. And I asked Ryan why he chose the Rays. Um, I think when me and my agent got together and we are talking about just all the other teams and who has contacted me and stuff. The Rays just sound like a great opportunity because they're a winning baseball team. They're going to put their top 25 guys out there. So um, I think just like coming into camp, it's it's good to be on a win team and um, feel like you got a fair chance to make the club if you perform. Did you know Kevin Cash at all when he was in the Indians organization or Q or some of the other? Obviously, you got several players who were over there. How many, who did you know, and how much does that also help a comfort level? Okay, um, I didn't know Cash at all. I'd never, he had left young in my career. I was still young in the minor leagues. And um, Q, I'd been in the big leagues with the Indians with Q. Um, obviously, he's with the hitters more often, so. To see him here and there, you know, didn't really know him on a personal level that well. But um, I'd played with Joey Wendell in um, short season A ball in Mahoning Valley for that season. And then um, playing with Yandy Diaz and Cole Solcer. So it's nice to be over here and see some familiar faces. How are you health-wise? Because I know probably last year was was it your toughest season that you went through? Yeah. Um, so the first half... <laughs> Pretty much first half of the season, I spent on the DL. Second half, um, I was healthy the whole second half. Finished up, finished up great. Finished with 70 innings um, and pitched really well. Feel healthy. Came in this whole off season. Felt healthy. Came in the spring. Feel healthy. So, our fans probably don't know a ton about you. 
you look at the numbers, you're obviously a strike thrower. What are your strengths, and, and what do you see? How do you see yourself as a pitcher? So, I mean, I'm a command pitcher. I'm not gonna come out there every time and strike out ten. I know that about myself. I know who I am as a pitcher. Um, so I go out there and try to be the best Ryan Merritt I can be. I don't try to be anybody else. I'm not gonna. Um, go out there and just try to throw 95 because I know that that's just not who I am. I'm going to locate all my pitches, command all my pitches, um, go out there and compete while I'm on the mound and try to win baseball games every time I'm out there. Cleveland is analytically minded. The race are too. Are there certain things though that you're hoping to learn that can even help you grow more as as a pitcher? Um, I think you're always trying to get better. I mean, with the analytics, you can see spin rate of all pitches. So, <laughs> I mean, if they see something that I can improve on with some of my pitches, then I'm definitely going to listen to them because I want to. I'm always looking to get better. Was it at all tough to leave Cleveland because it it was all you'd known and you had such great moments there too? Yeah, I mean, I met a lot of great people. They're great over there. They took care of me. They treated me really well. They gave me opportunities to. Um, um, compete at the big league level so um, the fans were awesome so yeah I mean I spent my whole career there I was comfortable there so yeah it was um, it's tough leaving but it's part of it I want to be somewhere where we have the best opportunity to um, pitch in the big leagues right so um, I always have a special place for Cleveland my heart but I'm really excited to get this season started with the race. There are two moments I wanted to touch on your big league debut you grew up in Texas what about an hour from Arlington and you ended up making your major league debut what did that mean to you and can you touch on what that was like? Yeah I mean it was really neat getting to pitch against the Rangers right I grew up just I liked the Rangers growing up but Obviously, when I got drafted by the Indians and I was playing for the Indians, that infatuation kind of rubs off, right? I like the Indians, whatever. <clears throat> I think it was more cool for my family and my friends to see see that happen. So um, it was a neat, neat time. And I think probably the moment that most baseball fans know well of is the role you played in that divisional playoff game where what it was injuries to Carrasco and Salazar and Bauer during the course of the playoffs and all of a sudden you're pitching in a deciding game and played a major role in a win which also <laughs> helped you down the road too you want to tell that story a little bit and what that was like leading up to that start finding out oh I'm gonna get the ball <laughs> yeah so I remember I was I was like on the reserve for um I was in Arizona on the reserve just in case they needed an arm or something after the Boston series, um, the Indians called me and said, hey, we're going to need you to start game three. Bauer cut his finger, you know. So I get up there, and I'm expecting to start game three. Bauer ends up starting game three, and we win. Kluber pitches the next day. That was game four. Then game five, they say, Merritt, you got the ball this day. You're starting for us. So, you know, just crazy emotions going on, nervous, you know, every – um, second start of my career in the big leagues, so there was a lot of emotion. But when I was when I was going to pitch that game, you know, they everybody let me know Tito, the whole 
and to everybody, you know, just like go out there and be yourself. Just go out there and compete, and you're good enough to be here, whatever. So um, we got your back. So went out there four and a third, and we ended up winning the ALCS. So yeah, it's a great experience. And then the fan response after, because you were engaged at the time, and they all helped you out your registry, right? They found my registry online, took care of that, just. Um, I think uh, opened up like 200 gifts in one night or something. It was it was crazy. So that whole that whole time was just was pretty surreal and just kind of a whirlwind and um, beyond excited and it was crazy. Hard to explain. And hopefully for Ryan Merritt, there certainly are some memorable moments in 2019 with his newest organization. Now, Oliver Drake, Ryan Merritt, who you heard earlier on the podcast, both had choices in terms of where they ended up this offseason. Ian Gardeck did not. He was a Rule 5 minor league pick of the race, but has truly an interesting story that we featured on our blog. And I sat down with Ian asking him what he thought when he was first taken by the Rays in the Rule 5 draft. Obviously really excited. Um, knew some giants that had come over here and had nothing but great things to say. You know, obviously reached out to Arroyo and Duffy. Um, those guys were super excited about what they had over here, and so I was I was really excited. What excited you the most? Because I'm sure you're aware of their development of pitchers. Yeah, I, I would say the development of pitchers, how they use their bullpen, the versatility and, and stuff like that, the openers, all of it. It's it's all real exciting. They seem to be on the cutting edge of what's going on and, and what we're trending towards. So it, it's exciting. It, it's, you know, at the major league side, they had a bullpen that had a lot of physicality. Um, Diego Castillo, Jose Alvarado, uh, Ryan Stanek. They've got Ian Jabot, who's on the come, too. You were, at you know, when through the Giants system, one of those kind of real physical type guys, right? Yeah, I, I definitely was one of those power type stuff guys, but... You know, I, I still think I have some of that stuff. I offer something a little bit different, and, and we'll see how I fit in with, with some of those younger guys that have that explosive stuff. How is your stuff now? Because for people who don't know your story, you had uh, you missed, what, for two Tommy John surgeries, right? Yeah, I missed for two Tommy Johns and a hip labrum. Stuff is, is pretty close to what it was um, previously, so we'll, we'll see as things uncover, but this is the first time I've really been fully healthy since all of that went down. Can you walk for our fans kind of through that history and what you had to go through and, and your appreciation for where you are now? Yeah, no, so I went on the big league roster in, in uh, 2016. Uh, shortly into spring training, blew out my elbow for the first time. Um, came off the roster um, had hip labrum surgery as well. A little bit shortly thereafter that, felt a little soreness in my throwing progression in December of 16. By January of 17, we realized that there was there was an arm injury again. I uh, tried to not go under the knife right away, made it back to the mound. Things just didn't feel right. So then in 2017, again, I had Tommy John finally making it back into a game and you know 2018 you know almost three years since having competed you know outside of spring training so it was a long road but it's been great this organization has a pretty good reputation for its training staff too i mean they got johnny venters back on the mound nathan avaldi back on the mound and healthy is that somewhat comforting too to come to an organization that has that rep 
Yeah, no, it, it's very comforting. Um, the, you know, they've they've been offering whatever I need, you know, to get ready to get, you know, the best out of my body, and they, they've been fantastic so far. What did you learn about yourself through that process? Because I, I I, most people can't imagine what it would be like to be away from what you really, truly enjoy and doing it in a field for nearly three seasons. Yeah, it, it was tough. The first surgery I tried to plow through and just put my head down and, and fight through it and, you know, work, work, work. Uh, the second time through, I realized that wasn't the answer. So I backed off. I learned, you know, some different hobbies. I got into painting. I got into reading. I went to more concerts. Um, when I needed to back away, I backed away. And, you know, I would do the minimum to get in, get out, take a day, recoup, get your mind fresh, ready to go, and be back at it. So it, it, it's really a process, but I've learned so much more about myself and some of the hobbies and, and things like that. It's been great. Who's been most helpful? Uh, you know, on, honestly, probably, you know, friends and family it's just been great to have their support um just have them by my side and and keep encouraging on those days that seem to drag forever and that this process may never end you um you mentioned friends and family you're probably the only guy in this clubhouse who can say they have a brother who's playing in the nfl right what what kind of level of pride is that for you yeah it's it's pretty awesome i'm i'm super prideful of him and you know, I probably brag a little bit more about him than anything else. You know, I'm, I'm super excited with him being able to get the opportunity. That was part of one of the gifts that came out of, you know, my second Tommy John was rehabbing at Fisher Institute and, uh, you know, linking up with Brett Fisher and then having Brett Fisher take care of my brother. And, you know, the next thing you know, he's playing for the Arizona Cardinals every Sunday. It was, it was really exciting. So good things have come from that second surgery. And he, he went on a pretty long journey, too, right, yeah. to get where he was. He was, where was he, Sioux Falls? He was. He was actually, he started at West Virginia State um, and then was a fifth-year grad transfer to Sioux Falls, um, South Dakota. Had a good senior, you know, senior year, played well, came down, trained, got ready for the combine, had a good combine, and then grinded through, you know, Mini, rookie minicam, OTAs, all of that, to finally make it to that 53-man roster. I remember being in the Richmond locker room, you know, checking my phone, seeing what the update was to see if he had made it that day. And when he made it, it was pretty exciting. Very excited for Ian and his family, and we certainly hope there are great things ahead for him during the course of this 2019 season. Now, let's move a little bit to the minor league side. Um, during the course of spring, we're going to feature some of the guys who may not be getting uh, maybe some of the attention and some of the top five prospects in the organization. Among those, Taylor Walls. I had a chance to sit down with him at the Rays minor league hitting camp last month uh, and chatted with him about what it meant to be Defensive Player of the Year in the organization, the obviously talented shortstop out of Florida State. It meant a lot to me. I mean, personally, just, you know, knowing, like, what I do in the off season or the work that I put in, just, you know, having something that somebody else sees, you know, the work, you know, I put in off the field, you know, kind of come into play. So, I mean, just kind of all that, I guess, the off season work, the little stuff that I do just coming in to, I guess, coming into play. What is a good shortstop to you? And who are the favorite, who are your favorite shortstops that you like to watch? Uh, growing up, I didn't watch too much baseball, but I guess living around in the Georgia area, I watched a lot of the Braves. So, you know, any like Chipper Jones, Rafael Fercal, anybody who they kind of had coming up, I guess would be the person that I watched the most. Um, to me, a, a good shortstop, 
as playing over the years as somebody who can just keep the team having fun, I guess. It's more, I feel like it's more or less about the position, but more about, you know, what you do in the clubhouse or in the dugout or what you do off the field, because I feel like that bond that you create, create with your teammates helps, you know, with such a long season, you know, helps everybody coming in every day with a smile on their face. So, I mean, on the field-wise, you know, it's just somebody letting everybody know, you know, where the next play is, you know, just kind of keep everybody on their toes, you know, just, I guess, covering as much ground as possible and making the plays you're supposed to make. So are you a vocal guy? Are you a loosey-goosey guy? Are you a cut-up? How would you describe yourself in a, in a clubhouse? In the clubhouse, very loose, serious when it comes to comes to my business. But I mean, the guys around me, I just try to loosen them up because you know when they're loose, I'm loose as well. So I mean, try to keep as as much tension out of the clubhouse as possible. So whether it, you know whether it's some days cutting up or some days if we need to get serious and focus on things a little more than what we've been doing, and you know I feel like just taking that mentality from the clubhouse to the field and letting you know your team have fun together. I feel like that has been a key to the success at least my two years in pro ball. You always been a shortstop? And yeah, I have. I played second base maybe, you know, a, a, one summer I think in college I played second base, but not too many times. And in terms of, you know, you mentioned growing up in, in Georgia. Right. Did you go up to, did you get to go to any major league ballparks as a kid? Or and if uh, other than going to the Rays, I know honors, what right. parks did you go to as growing that up? That and Turner Fields, really the only fields I've ever been to. Uh, I actually did, when I was in college, I actually did get to go to Fenway Park. So, I mean, that was pretty exciting. But other than that, or, and I think the twin, there was a perfect game showcase up in the Twins old dome up there in what is it, Minneapolis or something, I think. Metrodome, yeah. Yeah, the Metrodome, so that was nice. But other than that, I haven't really been to many places. In terms of shortstops in the big leagues now, is there anyone who you liken yourself to or who you're who are favorite, or do you even watch much or you just focus on you? I mean, I definitely watch, but I feel like I feel like when I watch, I really don't try to compare myself. I kind of just try to absorb, you know, take in a little bit from, you know, each of the great guys, whether it's, you know, Lindor, Correa, you know, I mean, I'm leaving out several, but I'm just saying everybody that I happen to catch a game and I just kind of key in on the shortstops just to see what they do well and something that maybe I can incorporate in my game. Personally, what would a successful 2019 right. mean for you or what would it include? Um, just kind of doing a lot of the things that I did last year, you know, holding down shortstop defensively or whatever other positions they had me play, um, being a good teammate, you know, offensively trying to be a little more consistent down the, down the road, uh, just doing whatever I can to help my team win. And, you know, I feel like as long as I keep my mindset on winning, then, you know, the individual stats will take care of themselves. Where do you think you're, you've changed physically? Because you got through your first full season, and right. sometimes that can be a grind and you learn a lot about yourself. Uh, physically, I felt like I held up pretty well last year. Um, that is one thing that I key in on in the offseason is just getting in the gym and getting my body physically ready to, you know, take on 140 games a year. So, I mean, I felt like physically I was in the right state last year during the season I felt like mine was more of mentally kind of just you know finding a way to tone down reps whether it's in BP or you know whether it's before a game after a game just kind of limiting you know my workload off the field so I can kind of stay a little more consistent through the end of the season. It certainly helps to have things that you can do to keep your mind occupied right. away from the field so what do you like to do? When you're not playing baseball? Uh, well, it helps. I have my newly fiance that usually goes with me wherever I go. We got a little puppy that we take. So, I mean, you know, just having somebody to, you know, go to outside of, you know, 
you know, after a game to go home to, you know, just kind of relax and have somebody to kick it with. And then, and you know, I'm really good friends with everybody that's on our team. So whether it's going to a movie or, you know, going out to eat or doing whatever the case may be, you know, just having that group of friends, my fiance, my dog, whatever it might be, just off the field kind of helps you, you know, just focus and relax a little bit. What kind of dog? Golden Retriever. Yep. How old? He's about 13 months now, so he's a he's full grown. He's a big dog, but he, he's still a puppy at heart. And do you hunt? Do you fish? Do you play Fortnite? What, what oh, are your yeah, other I've, guilty pleasures? I'm not really much of a fisherman. I'm not the most patient person, I would say, but I do a lot of hunting in the off season. Um, I love hunting, whether it's you know hog hunting, deer hunting, whatever kind of hunting it is. Uh, Fortnite, I love Fortnite. It's a little struggle here with the days in. There's no uh, good internet, so it's kind of. I get more frustrated than I do having fun with it. But yeah, I mean, anything I can do to kind of just keep my mind occupied, I'm, I'm fine with. And your fiance, Haley, does she, uh, she play any of those? Does she hunt? Does she? Uh... Yeah, she does. She, she, whatever I do, she loves to do too. So, I mean, you know, whether it's going hunting, she always begs to come hunting with me. You know, she used to be an athlete in high school. So, I mean, a good one. So, I mean, if we go, you know, whether it's play wiffle ball or play basketball, she's always ready to go to. You got high school sweethearts or college sweethearts? No, no, no. We met at Florida State. She's from Virginia. Okay. Um, and one thing I, I was reading a little bit about you, I remember when you were drafted, Mike Martin right. um, had said, he loves to compete. He's a winner. I never have to worry if I got 27 or however many. Right. What does that mean when you hear that, that somebody says you're a competitor, you're a winner? Uh, well, I mean, I, I feel like exactly what he said is is true. I mean, me and Eleven have a lot in common, as in, you know, we both want to win as bad as the other person. So, you know, we butted heads a little bit in college because of that. So, I mean, it's it's fun when you have, you know, a guy like him and then a person like me that wants to win so bad that, you know, it's almost like sometimes you can get mad at each other. But just, you know, it's, I really have a lot of respect for him, everything he's done, uh, just giving me the opportunity to play. I probably wouldn't be here if he wouldn't have done that. So, I mean, just very thankful. And you also got to play for Team USA. You've been right. to a College World Series. What's been your best moment on a baseball field so far? Uh, the College World Series was definitely something I'll remember forever and very exciting. That's probably the biggest platform I've ever played on. Um, as far as most exciting, I would, I'd have to say all the championships. I mean, there's, there's nothing like that last out, you know, to the pit, where, whether you're striking out or somebody catches the last out and you're just running and dogpiling on the mound. And, celebrating with champagne after the game. So, I mean, that's, those championships are definitely the most exciting moments. And hopefully more championships ahead for one Taylor Walls and more success as he climbs up the ladder. Certainly appreciate the guests on the podcast, Mar Topkin, Oliver Drake, Ryan Merritt, Ian Gardeck, and also Taylor Walls. And, of course, you continue to follow all of our coverage and our features uh, on our blog, raceradio.mlblogs.com. We will have our next Countdown Opening Day show this weekend, which will turn into a podcast. We certainly appreciate you joining us, and we'll talk to you soon.